0: How did a printer's problems in the summer of 1902 lead to today's air conditioning?
1: And what and where is the most expensive hotel
0: in the world? Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. We've got some fun and interesting questions today. You've got one there about a hotel.
1: My question is, what and where is the most expensive hotel
0: in the world? Well, I would normally think it's some major financial center like Hong Kong or New York or, or maybe a big... Uh, Gambling place like uh, Monte Carlo That's where I would think it would be
1: It is the Palms Casino Resort In Las Vegas You're kidding Nope, they just completed a two-year renovation Rumored to be about One billion dollars
0: Holy cow
1: And uh, they revamped uh, 1,395 rooms and suites Jeez. That include the Kingpin Suite What's that? It- <laughs> It houses bowling lanes, and you can have...
0: <laughs> in your suite?
1: Yeah, and you can have that for uh, 15000 a night.
0: Okay. Right.
1: And the hardwood suite, guess what that has?
0: Hmm, uh, wooden mattresses? No, I don't know. it's
1: own basketball court. Oh, in, dear. And that's twenty thousand a night.
0: Twenty thousand a night.
1: So what do you think? How much for the most expensive room? It's called the empathy suite. Oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's all you're gonna have left after you stay there because your money's gonna be gone. Oh uh,
1: god, I can't I'll
0: go for a hundred thousand.
1: That's exactly you're kidding. on the nose. A hundred
0: thousand dollars a night. Yeah. In Las Vegas. Yeah. So Who you- stays there?
1: Well, the high rollers, and you consider that if it's over a million dollars you spend there, and then you get to stay free.
0: Well, of course. (laughs) You've already spent a million with us. We'll let you have the $200,000 room for free. But
1: the resort is very tight-lipped about who actually pay to sleep there. So
0: we don't know the answer to that. And they're not going to say. What what do you get for $100,000 A A night? night.
1: In the 8,500-square-foot, Damien Hirst-designed penthouse, you will find an outdoor cantilevered pool hanging hundreds of feet in the air, pillars covered in his signature dots, six... (laughs) Six specially commissioned artworks, including two sharks suspended in formaldehyde. You're
0: kidding me! What the
1: hell? Okay, <laughs> a 13-seat bar and a spectacular view
0: of the Strip. Where? What's the average room cost in this place? I don't know
1: about the average, but I can tell you the price point starts at 60 bucks a night.
0: 60 dollars? Yeah, not 60,000. <laughs> yeah, 60. Holy cow! Can- well, that's quite a range there. 60 dollars right. a night to 100,000 dollars yep. a night. So you told me all the stuff that's involved in the $100,000 room.
1: No, there are extra treats. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Things that you and I would appreciate. Like? 24-hour butlers, <laughs> a chauffeured car, and a $10,000 credit to spend in the resort, as you wish. So oh, I a go, coupon. Yeah, coupon. <laughs> go out and buy your knickknacks, your keychains from the casino.
0: That is a different lifestyle than I know.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: Oh, my goodness. And that's in Las Vegas. Yeah. The Palms.
1: Palms Casino, yeah.
0: Okay, how did a printer's problems in the summer of 1902 lead to today's air conditioning?
1: (laughs) Well, I haven't a clue.
0: The heat and moisture in the air in the summer of 1902 in Brooklyn was causing problems for a color printer when the humidity caused the paper on the presses to to change size enough to distort printing because you have to print multiple times in order to get a color image. Well, that paper was moving around, shrinking and everything, and it was all off. So a young engineer, William Haviland Carrier, was called in to solve the problem.
1: (laughs) I know that, Yeah,
0: Carrier of Carrier Air Conditioning today. But he was just an engineer in those days, and he discovered that the air retained less moisture at lower temperatures. So the colder it was, there was less moisture in the air. This was not something people knew, like we know today. Uh So he designed a machine that blew air over chilled pipes and stabilized the amount of moisture, and the printing improved. And his idea became the basis for the modern air conditioning industry. And uh, one of the major air conditioning companies bears his name, but it started because a printer was having problems with Uh color registration on Uh the paper. You never know where things are going to come from.
1: Yeah, never know.
0: Now, I've got another one here. The name of the invention was the cotton gin, but why did Eli Whitney call it a gin?
1: I have no idea. What
0: was the cotton gin?
1: Yeah, it was that goofy-looking machine, and it had a big... Well, here, I'll take a guess. Because the vat looked like how you would make uh, alcohol, gin? No. No, distill it? No. No? Okay.
0: The cotton gin was actually the cotton engine. That was the actual name of it. It was an engine, basically a, a contraption that combed the seeds out of cotton, Uh and he called it a gin. It was just slang. That's the gin. It's the engine over here.
1: Oh, the gin, like engine. Yeah. Oh.
0: The cotton gin. You hear that all your life in history. I never thought of that. I don't believe he took a patent out on that and uh, never made any money off of it. Really, he could have made a fortune off of it, because that revolutionized agriculture in the South, picking a cotton and everything.
1: Huh. Okay. What modern pharmaceutical, Bob? was used back in 1500 B.C.
0: A modern pharmaceutical?
1: Let me rephrase that. Uh, Medicine. Pharmaceutical that we still use today.
0: Was it aspirin? It was. Because it was the roots of uh, a tree, wasn't it? Yes. That's where they got it. What was the tree?
1: In the bark of a willow
0: tree. The willow tree. Yeah,
1: and was known as a pain reliever in 1500 B.C. And in 1897, chemist Felix Hoffman developed a synthetic form And the Bayer factory in Germany started producing it and referred to it as aspirin for the first time in 1899.
0: And now here's the question for you based on that. What was the inspiration for him to develop aspirin since it had been known as kind of a folk remedy, but he was able to synthesize this artificially? What was the inspiration for that? Do you know the story? No. His father was in terrible pain and had been for years, and he he was looking with all kinds of things, experimenting with them to try to help his father get rid of the pain. Uh And that was one of the compounds that was in the archives at the Bayer Company, and he, he went with it. Of course, that became the greatest drug of all time, you know. Yeah. Another question. For the Bayer Company, that same year, Bayer also had another product it introduced. Aspirin was one. What year was that?
1: 1899.
0: Okay. Aspirin was one. What was the other product that Bayer introduced that year? No. Oh. And you know the brand name, but you wouldn't think it's a brand name.
1: All right. Uh,
0: no, it's another painkiller.
1: Another, uh, Not Tylenol. No. I don't know.
0: Heroin. <laughs> Heroin oh, was a trade name for a Jeez. replacement for... What was the thing that they gave to all the soldiers in the Civil War? They all oh, became addicted. Morphine. It was supposed to help you get rid of a morphine addiction. And heroin, meaning like hero, uh, I guess is the name, oh. but they were both introduced the same year, and you can find old pictures of brand bottles, a bottle with bare heroin written on the label. Wow.
1: Wow. How yeah, long? Yeah, there's a lot di- of
0: unintended consequences.
1: I'll say, how long did that last, you know?
0: How long did heroin last?
1: <laughs> no, the... Uh... Being a pill like that.
0: Oh, I don't know. At some point, it became obvious it was a mistake. Yeah. You know?
1: At some point. Terrible,
0: terrible mistake. Oh,
1: God. Okay. 90 years ago, Charles Creighton and James Hargan went round trip from New York City to LA in a 1929 Ford Model A. Hmm. What made this trip so unusual?
0: I I don't know. Was it a a convertible car? It had no roof? It was. What was it?
1: They drove backwards all the way. <laughs> what? what? Isn't that the dumbest thing you ever heard? What? They never turned off the engine. Never? At least that's what they claim. It took them 42 days at 10 miles an hour. They took turns sleeping and everything, and they went nonstop for 42 days backwards. You could... Do that, apparently, back in 1930. What
0: a dubious distinction. It is, but... 10 miles per hour? Yep. I'm surprised it only took them 42 days. So
1: was I, actually. <laughs> yeah, and going backwards. Can you see them coming through town? Oh, here come Jim and Charlie. Oh, jeez.
0: Here's a uh, interesting little question and a quick answer. What changed the writing habits of millions when it was introduced in
1: 1839? Oh, gosh. I don't, I don't know. The quill pen...
0: No. No, they had quills before then.
1: Okay. You would know.
0: Not ballpoints. That was 100 years later. <laughs> okay. Okay, believe it or not, it was the envelope.
1: What? How it, does that work? It,
0: well, that's what people thought. How does this work? <laughs> it wasn't introduced until 1839. Prior to that time, people usually folded their letters both ways, sealed them with wax, and wrote the address on the back, and that was it.
1: Oh, they sealed with wax the letter itself. Yeah, they'd
0: stamp the letter, seal it. That must have
1: been pretty vulnerable. Well,
0: well, you'd think so, and you'd, and, but you can imagine there were some people going, "Why do I have to buy this thing? Yeah. Why do I have to buy this envelope <laughs> thing? Well, that's stupid. It's a waste of money."
1: Tis. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, Bob, you know we uh, live in Wisconsin mm-hmm. and wear certain kind of cheese hats, right?
0: Well, do we? Is <laughs> Different than other places that have cheese well. hats? I don't know. No, I don't know that.
1: Well. Wisconsin produces uh, more than 3 billion pounds a year of cheese, and we're the number one producer in the United States. But my question is, the French people consume more cheese every year than anyone else. The French do? Yeah, they consume more. Oh, okay. Uh, How much do you think they consume?
0: Is this per person? Yes. Okay, I would say it's by pounds, right? Yes. 30 pounds per person.
1: 57 pounds. Wow. Geez, what their arteries must be. Of course, the red wine helps, I think. Oh, God geez. in heaven. Well, this
0: is probably in sauces and everything else, right?
1: I don't know. I didn't get a breakdown, but uh, yeah. And actually, uh, the biggest producers of cheese in the world are the EU countries, hmm. but they count themselves as one country, but I count Wisconsin.
0: Well, don't include me in your demented Wisconsin statistics, because I'm not from here originally. <laughs> okay, fine. Fine. <laughs> okay.
1: My demented.
0: <laughs> You're demented. Okay, Marsha, i got a question for you, all right? The trial of Lizzie Borden, accused of murdering her parents in 1892. That's famous. Mm-hmm. Now, that introduced a new forensic technology that changed murder trials for all time. What was the new forensic technology?
1: Was it blood testing?
0: Close, but no.
1: Um, let's see. She had an axe, right? Lizzie mm-hmm. Borden and blood and uh axe. This was
0: the first time jurors ever saw anything like this.
1: All right. Were there... It's fiber or hair samples? No. No, I don't know.
0: Crime scene photography.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah,
0: it was first used in the trial of 32-year-old Elizabeth Borden. She was accused of killing her father, Andrew, and her stepmother with an axe, and it was the first widely publicized trial to use crime scene photographs. So And that made it standard around the world. Before the Lizzie Borden trial, the most famous crime photos were from the Jack the Ripper case in London, which was four years earlier. But only one of the Ripper's victims was actually photographed at the crime scene. So oh. crime scene photography is taking a picture of the scene, including the victim yeah. at the scene. Yeah. So they showed those uh, photos to the jurors. But still, for the record, Lizzie Borden was found not guilty wow. by a, by an all-male jury that acquitted her and saw all these pictures. Wow. And in a bizarre twist, the jurors posed for a photo of their own, which they presented to her as a souvenir. <laughs> oh, all these men, like this cute oh. 32-year-old woman there. Oh, so. my gosh. Oh, dear. Here,
1: but did she do it?
0: Well, nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, if you read about it, you think oh, maybe she did it. I, and they—I always thought she did. The victims were struck in the face, so that's usually a personal, personal crime. Yeah. All right. What do you have?
1: Well, the first sidewalk in the United States was laid when?
0: Now we're talking a concrete sidewalk as opposed to a wooden sidewalk. It was. You don't know for it sure. It was stone. The stone sidewalk. I bet that was in Boston in 1624.
1: <laughs> you say that with such authority. Well, you got to say it
0: with authority. <laughs> Even though you don't know, you know.
1: Of course, and you did very well with that, actually. Okay. First sidewalk in the United States was laid in
0: 1657.
1: Oh, close. Uh huh. <laughs> Along a New York City street named, quite aptly, Stone Street.
0: Oh, no kidding, yeah, so. Stone Street. Yeah. Uh... Well, speaking of cities, how fast did city streetcars run sometimes? How fast did some major city streetcar lines run?
1: Well. I don't know. They can't run too fast. I'll say 30 miles an hour.
0: Believe it or not, some inner-city streetcar systems actually had a normal operating speed of 80 miles oh, per hour. Oh, that's crazy!
1: That's crazy talk, Bob.
0: <laughs> faster, faster than most of the trains in the U.S. today. Well,
1: people must have been killed left and right well, Probably were, but you know the these street.
0: are interurban trail lines, so they had to be in certain areas that yeah. they could run that fast. Oh, okay. You know? So yeah, they weren't some...
1: streetcars. Streetcars running downtown through. Well, they're intercity,
0: intercity, city to city streetcars. So you want to you want to quibble with what? Well, my... I
1: can't believe they'd run 80 miles an hour in the city.
0: Okay. Well, then I have another question for you. Okay. To see if you want to quibble with this one. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) you'll probably disagree with this one, too. (laughs) The first round-the-world telephone call. When do you think that was made? Now, I'm just going to tell you this.
1: 1910.
0: 1935. Hmm. What do I mean by round-the-world? Okay, from where to where was the call made?
1: New York to London.
0: It was placed in New York. It was routed to San Francisco, then Java, then Amsterdam, then London, and it was received in an office just 50 feet from the caller. Really? The man who placed the call was the president of the American Telephone and Telegraph Very Corporation. Cool. 1935. So that's the first around-the-world telephone call. He, there, uh, were, there were transatlantic calls. Yeah,
1: but that's pretty, that pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of cute. I'd like to be the guy to get that okay. call. All
0: right. Okay, we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, we're back with The Off-Ramp. How did
1: astrology connect the lives of Winston Churchill, Franklin Roosevelt, and Adolf Hitler?
0: How did astrology connect yeah. the lives of Winston Churchill, Adolf Hitler, and who else? Franklin Roosevelt. Right. Wow, I don't know.
1: It's actually the date. January 30th ties all those people together. It's the date of President Roosevelt's birth, Winston Churchill's death, and Hitler's ascension to power in Germany. Wow, wow. On the same hour, same week of the same year.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: This also had Charlie Chaplin in there.
0: Oh, really? Tell me about that. Chaplin and Hitler have some relationship in that?
1: Chaplin and Hitler were associated astrologically from birth because both men were born within the same hour in the same week on the same year.
0: Wow. Now, really, when you think about that, that makes The Great Dictator, which was Chaplin's film, spoofing Hitler, fascinating when they were born the same day. Is that right? The same
1: day, the same hour, and the same week or the same year.
0: Holy cow. Okay. Okay. All right. I've got an entertainer question. Okay. Uh, Who is this entertainer? He was a cheerleader in high school. One of his classmates went on to found a major rock band. He was a contestant on the dating game. Today, he's a major art collector, and he's recently turned 75.
1: Sylvester Stallone?
0: No. He was a cheerleader in high school. One of his classmates went on to found a major rock band. Yeah, He was a contestant on The Dating Game, which you can actually find this show on on YouTube.
1: Oh, i um, trying to and think. And he's
0: a major art collector. It's
1: not Clint Eastwood.
0: I'll give you three more clues, because yeah. you always want more clues, Marsh. <laughs> his first job was at Disneyland. He wrote for the Smothers Brothers... And he appeared on Saturday Night Live so often, people thought he was in the cast.
1: I know who it is Steve Martin.
0: Steve Martin, yes, yes.
1: (laughs) Took a few clues to get there. But I was thinking of all the famous people who are well known art collectors.
0: Yeah, so Steve Martin just turned 75. He was a cheerleader. He calls it a yell leader. (laughs) I was a yell leader at Garden Grove High School in California. And his first job was two miles from home at Disneyland. He started selling guidebooks. Then he graduated to the magic shop. That's where he learned the balloon animals and other gags he used in his early comedy routines. And he learned rope tricks that you see in Three Amigos from a Frontierland rope wrangler he befriended. If you read his uh, memoir, he gives thanks to all these people. He mentions them by name. These are people he knew when he was like 16, you know? That's very cool. Yeah.
1: Well, that makes a lot more sense than Sylvester Stallone, who I couldn't see being a cheerleader. No, I couldn't either. I just went for the... But just just so
0: you know, he was chosen by the girl on the dating game.
1: He was. Yeah. (laughs) Wow.
0: He hosted Saturday Night Live 15 times. Alec Baldwin is the only person who has hosted it more, 17. Mm -hmm. Uh, A high school classmate of Steve Martin was John McEwen of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, who helped Steve Martin learn banjo at age 17. And Steve Martin tours, you know, today uh, with the group. And, um, how serious of a art collector is he? Well, the, his movie career made him a very rich man. So he owns pieces by Pablo Picasso, Roy Lichtenstein, David Hockney, and Edward Hopper. He sold one of his hoppers for $26.9 million in 2006. Wow. Yeah. But he's also been a victim of forgeries. He once paid $850,000 for a fraud. So yeah. Yeah. that doesn't uh, make you an expert necessarily if you own all these things.
1: All right, Bob. What great screen comedian was a horticulturist who crossed a potato with an onion? What?
0: (laughs) This is a great screen. So we're talking a movie star. Correct. A great screen comedian was actually a horticulturalist in his private life, and he crossed a what?
1: Potato with an
0: onion. Potato. I could see all the unintended consequences of that. I can't That could be good or very bad. (laughs) Uh,
1: Sounds tasty to me
0: I'm thinking of Chaplin because he was interested in all kinds of things
1: It was Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy He had always dreamed of producing a hybrid between a potato and an onion And after many failures, he succeeded in producing one However, it turns out, his product was inedible
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't work no. It just didn't He finally work. got
1: it, you know, he finally did it and then he could not eat it. <laughs> I don't know why you would think it would taste pretty good.
0: I would well, yeah, cuz a lot of times you put uh, onions and uh, or onion powder or you know, oh, near yeah. potatoes and sure. they 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 taste great. I've got a couple facts here about the Vikings.
1: Mm-hmm. Did
0: you know this? Did you know the Vikings invaded Paris?
1: Oh, before it was called Paris. I'll well,
0: bet. it was an early city in 885, but the <laughs> But the Vikings, their reach went all across Europe. People yeah. don't realize that. But yeah, Paris was besieged by a fleet of thousands of Vikings and hundreds of ships in 885. And over 100 years' time, the Frankish Empire paid extortion money to the Vikings equal to 14 percent of the Empire's total output to keep them under yeah. control and yeah. you know take Jeez. don't plunder too much Even here. At
1: 800. They
0: 885. Did that. Wow. Now, here's another one. London Bridge is Falling Down may be about Viking invasions. That's an ancient song. It supposedly refers to Viking Sven Fordbeards, 1013 Invasion of England. The raids evolved into continuous Viking presence, and Scandinavian diasporas, settlements, and cultures were all over the coasts of Europe. But London Bridge is Falling Down is like, oh, here they come again. And the word Russian comes from the Vikings. Did you know that? No, I did not. Okay. Modern Russia derives its name from Kavian Rus, the ancestors of Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. The name Rus comes down from an Old Norse word. What do you think Rus meant? I don't know. Men who row.
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
0: men who row. All right, now... Wasn't that... Lori and that's Loughlin? What they did. They, Isn't
1: that how she got her children into college? Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of these people in the uh, the scandal, yeah, yeah. that they posed their children. College children's. scandal? Misma. all oh, right. Yeah, they're mind. on the rowing I'm team. Going, of I'm, off
1: the, I'm off the plantation here. Sorry. I've got one more. Okay.
0: Where is some of the oldest Viking graffiti found? It's a place that's been in the news recently. Oh, dear. It's an institution. It's a building that's been in the news recently. I don't know. Turkey has that famous old church. Originally it was a Christian basilica, the Hagia Sophia. It's been turned into a mosque. It's been Muslim and Christian over the years, and it's back again to being a Muslim center of worship. Well, there's graffiti in there from the 9th century. Now, at that time, the building was already 300 years old. Jeez. And I forget who the two, the names of the... Uh, Fellas, but there are two fellas that were there They're Viking tourists, looks like Sven And Aldi, you know, (laughs) and they sign their Names, and there's some reference to Vikings, so they know that these people Are actually there from, isn't that fascinating Yeah,
1: it's part of the DNA Of the human being, apparently Yeah, you
0: become a tourist somewhere, you go sign your name
1: All over the wall (laughs) And then I just have a couple of factoids You might find interesting Okay Or not (laughs) What is Bob? What is Bob?
0: A uh, Bob yeah. is <laughs> Bob is good.
1: Well, actually, I'll turn this into a question instead of a factoid. Okay. What is the oldest form of building material still in use today?
0: Concrete. No. Oh, well, stone. I would say, obviously. No, but, no, probably wood. No. What is it?
1: The common brick. Oh, okay. So that's uh, it is a. It, brick okay, is so it's stone. well, it's
0: it's uh, usually it's a, made out of clay or something. Yeah. That's it's,
1: and they were used in ancient Egypt more than seven thousand years ago. Man,
0: that's so amazing.
1: that's the common seven thousand years. We're still using
0: brick bricks, and most people. Prefer houses made out of brick or stone. Well, the
1: three little pigs, surely. Well,
0: <laughs> okay, that was one factoid. What's the other question? Fact? Sh- you should've. snorted like a little pig there. I did. I did. <laughs>
1: okay, I, I, got,
0: I got one more medicine. Okay. Okay. What was it that inspired an Austrian doctor to tap on patients' chests to determine their internal condition? Now oh. you you've ever had a doctor? They tap on your chest when they've got a stethoscope. Sometimes they tap on your chest. Well, what a does bit. that mean? Well, then they can find out whether you've got uh, a heartbeat? congestion, or something.
1: Do why why are they tapping? Now that it, now that you brought it up, I don't know.
0: I asked the question: What was it that inspired <laughs> an Austrian doctor to tap on patients' chests? I don't know, Bob. Wine barrels. Of course, I knew that. (laughs) Actually, to tap wine casts. I just forgot that. Well, an Australian doctor, an Austrian doctor. I'm sorry, Leopold Arnbrugger. Used to watch his father, who was a vintner, tap wine casts to discover the level of wine inside of them. And that gave the doctor the idea of tapping patients' chest with fingers and listening to the sound to determine the internal condition of the patient. You
1: mean for the level of congestion? Like to see
0: if they had congestion in there, if their and lungs were could filled. Tell. Yeah, well, and they Well, that's cute.
1: That. Well, I never thought of that. That's enlightening.
0: And then that was in 1761, he published his findings. but it, I
1: knew I had something in common with wine barrels.
0: Well, your, your ancestors come from France. It was the French who recognized the doctor's work for what it was, We they, they translated his findings in 1808. And yeah. so that's when doctors started tapping and doing things wow.
1: like Wow, viva la
0: Because of a wine barrel.
1: Wow, see?
0: See, then all, you love it's, that, it's, don't it's, you? Yeah, I do. Because hey, you love wine, a, yeah. so <laughs> why I, not tap on that wine barrel? There's medicinal value in that.
1: And I love my ancestors. Okay, <laughs>
0: thank you for that, Bob. Feeling good. Okay, here's another thing that loosely relates to this current emergency we're in with a virus and so forth. Mm -hmm. It's about something, a substance that was once thought to be a cure for headaches, toothaches, arthritis, stomach aches, wounds, and bad breath. (laughs) Yet today we know it harms health instead of enhancing it. What was once believed to be a cure for all those things? Headaches, toothaches, arthritis, stomach aches, wounds, bad breath. Really? Yeah. What? What?
1: What is bad now? It's considered bad now for all those things. Yes. So is it like no, it's a, not
0: considered bad for all those things. It's just considered bad.
1: Is it like a, a, a drug like cocaine or something? No.
0: Or? It's well, a naturally occurring substance.
1: A naturally occurring substance. Or product.
0: Or plant.
1: Or plant. Uh,
0: Think of the New World. What was the big thing that they brought back that was a plant from the New World back in the uh, 16th, 15th centuries? Tobacco. Oh, really? Yeah, tobacco. Oh,
1: my God. It
0: was made into oh, a my tea. God,
1: that's absurd. It was
0: made into a tea, even rolled into pills to serve as a medicinal <laughs> herb at one point. <laughs> oh, yeah. A Spanish physician, Nicolas Mandares, brought it to the attention of the world when he extolled the medicinal beliefs in a 1577 book uh. called Joyful News of the Newfound World. And it wasn't until two centuries had passed, or three, that his beliefs were challenged.
1: Yeah, God. It
0: took almost 400 years finally before tobacco became, well, you know, it known just, as such a horrible thing yeah, for people. God,
1: it just shows you how intelligentsia keeps evolving, doesn't it? <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Yeah, tobacco—the oh
0: cure for a headache, toothache, arthritis, stomach aches, wounds, and bad breath—but it gives you cancer.
1: <laughs> Otherwise go for it. Well, that's very interesting, Bob. Thanks for that.
0: Well, that's it for now. Okay. Okay. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Hope you join us again next time we come back here on The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.